0: So have you ever put your trust in someone and had them let you down? Not a good feeling, is it? But even worse, have you ever put your trust in someone and then have been betrayed? If you have, it's just about the worst thing you can imagine because when we're talking about betrayal, it's not one of those accidental sins, right? It's not, it's not the slip of the tongue in a heated argument, it's not an unintentional slight or uh, an incidental hurt. No, with, with betrayal, we're talking about a determined, pre-planned, intentional effort to destroy someone while, while all the time having that person, that target, believe the betrayer to be their truest friend, their closest confidant, someone in whom they laid their entire trust and well-being. And when that's violated, that really hurts like no other. And you're going to hear that today in the words of King David, our psalm singer, as he laments uh, his own betrayal, and with it, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is carried beyond his own personal uh, pain and heartache, so that we can catch a glimpse of a greater treachery, uh, a future unfaithfulness that would be fulfilled not with palace intrigue or family infighting like King David's was, but with a friendly kiss. With a friendly kiss at the betrayal of David's future son and our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we're going to be picking up in our extended look through the Psalms. But I'm going to ask my son to turn on the pulpit lights because I'm not going to be able to read it if so we're going to be. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along in Psalm 55, uh, beginning in verse one. He's going to have the lights on here for me in just a second. So now you have plenty of time to look it up. Thanks, buddy. Let there be light. And it's superscribed to the choir master with stringed instruments, a masculine of David. And he writes, Give ear to my prayer, O Lord, and hide not Yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble on me, and in anger... They bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away, and I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah which of course means stop and think about that. So David has taken a minute to pause and think what it would be like to fly away from his troubles. And then he continues, I would hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city day and night. They go around it on its walls. And iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace, for it's not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him, but it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng, let death steal over them, let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. and He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old. Selah because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I trust in you. It's the word of the Lord. You know, as I said in the uh, the opening, Psalm 55 is a psalm penned by David that deals with what can be one of the more painful uh, experiences that people can endure in life, and that's the betrayal of a close friend. But, you know, David hasn't been betrayed by... Just any close friend, but by someone he says, with whom I used to take sweet counsel together, with whom i I walked in God's house in the throng. And so he says he hasn't been betrayed by just anyone, but by another believer, by a, a professed one anyway, with whom he had shared in close fellowship and uh, in worshiping the lord. and And although all of those thoughts and and those feelings and those emotions that David is expressing are coming, from his own personal experience of betrayal, that the Bible talks about in First Samuel and Second Samuel, you know, when you read that, at least for me, you can't help but think ahead to the betrayal of Jesus when you read those words, right? Uh, and that's not by accident. That's not a handy coincidence or a literary device added after the fact. No, Psalm 55 is a Holy Spirit-inspired direct prophecy of the greatest traitor in history, Judas Iscariot. And and that's not just my interpretation because if you remember we talked about before, uh, the great reformer Martin Luther who had learned the Psalms early in his career as a monk uh, and, and who continued to love them wrote, the Psalms ought to be a precious and beloved book if for no other reason than this, that it promises Christ's death and resurrection so clearly and pictures his kingdom and the condition and nature of all Christendom, that it might be well called a little Bible. And the story of that Bible is a unified one. It's the story of that scarlet thread of redemption that weaves its way and that we see running from the very first chapters in Genesis all the way through to the last amen of Revelation. Uh, And one that unfortunately for us today is going to connect through the life of a consummate conspirator, the life of a cunning conniver, a master manipulator, Judas Iscariot, the man who betrayed the Son of God with a kiss and with it became uh, probably the most despised person in the annals of human history. Uh, you know, and I don't think I was talking to Vicki about this, I don't think I've ever preached much uh, on this, this topic or on Judas from the pulpit. We did cover it quite a bit in Sunday school before and I know we touched on it back in Psalm 41, but there's really a lot to learn here because the story of the relationship that Jesus had with his disciple Judas, probably one of the most unique relationships in history, gives us a lens through which we can examine not only the depths of human sinfulness and the heights of God's grace, but one that really invites us to examine our own hearts and to examine our own minds and our own motivations especially as we prepare to come to the lord's table so let me give you just a, a tiny bit of background uh believe it or not the name judas was actually very popular at one time uh, linguistically it comes from a connection to the name of the royal tribe of judah and it, it means either uh, one who is to be praised or it means jehovah leads me and and there were lots of men named judas in the first century uh, but i don't think too many sense, Do you Right, I mean, think about it. I bet we all know a James, right? Or a John, or Peter. Uh, I bet you probably even some of us know uh, maybe a, a man named Thaddeus or Bart, right? But how many Judases do you know? Anybody? right? Uh, and while we're on names, Iscariot's not his last name. Uh, Iscariot just means a man from Cariot, from the, the town, of first century town referenced in, uh, actually in the book of Judges and then in Jeremiah. Uh, Kariot was a a city in Judea about 12 miles south of Hebron, uh, which really means, and I'm telling you this because it means Judas was the only apostle that wasn't from Galilee, where Jesus and the other 11 disciples were from. And so, uh, in that sense, being from another town, he was a little bit of an outsider right from day one. Uh, He was one of those upper-class southern guys he didn't talk the same way he didn't dress the same way he he didn't have the same view of the future of the jewish nation as the other disciples and so he was basically from an area that looked down their noses on the galilean Jews but there was something about jesus that drew him and i think there's there's really there's something about judas that that draws us not to follow his example But I think that draws us and invites us to ask a whole lot of questions. Like, how could somebody spend three years of his life with Jesus and then turn against him? Uh, How could he see all those miracles and and hear all that teaching and then just throw it all away? When was it that he had that that very first thought of defecting? And what was it exactly uh, that led him to that final act of betrayal? And you know, in, in, in the beginning of the story, the gospel doesn't really tell us much about how or when uh, he was called to follow Jesus, so we can only assume he did it with the same enthusiasm as all the others, right? Because uh, I doubt personally that Judas would have begun following Jesus with a plan to betray him right from the beginning. Not very likely. No, I think he he saw Jesus. Uh, he was intrigued by his his manner and his message, and so he followed And evidently, he found a way to fit in. Uh, We know he was chosen to serve as the treasurer of the group, so he must have displayed some positive characteristics, right? I mean, you usually don't uh, pick a guy who seems like a shady character to handle the money, do you? Right? I mean, in other words, he didn't look like he belonged on a wanted poster. Uh, He didn't look like a weaselly little con man. And in fact, to be honest, the rest of the disciples probably really liked Judas, i know historically a lot of really imaginative portraits have been painted of judas especially in the middle ages with you know like beady eyes sticking out or a kind of dark and sinister cast but you know what probably truthfully no one ever gave him a second glance Uh, and just to give you some idea of this when jesus announces in the upper room when he looks around at the table and says someone is going to betray me nobody had a clue who he could mean even when Judas gets up and leaves right after Jesus makes that announcement. We find that story in John chapter 13, or in verse 2 we read, uh, during supper when the devil had already entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Then if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then he pauses kind of in mid-conversation and looks around and says, I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place you may believe that I am he. After saying these things Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he testified truly truly I say to you one of you will betray me. And you have to picture sitting around the table with just 12 people right? Intimate group. The disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke and One of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus' side and so Simon Peter motioned for him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking and so that disciple leaned back against Jesus and said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel satan entered into him and jesus said to him what you are going to do do quickly and now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him some thought that because judas had the money bag jesus was telling him buy what we need for the feast or uh, that we should give something to the poor so after receiving the morsel of bread he immediately went out and it was night And and I think it's really noteworthy here that the disciples were so perplexed, don't you? Because, you know, it really shows how the Lord had treated Judas for those last three years, even though he knew Judas was going to betray him in the end, right? I mean, think about it. If Jesus had ever treated Judas any differently from the way he treated the other disciples, if he had maybe seemed more distant or shown any kind of resentment, they would have known immediately that Judas was the betrayer. Uh, If Jesus had harbored any bitterness for what he knew Judas would ultimately do, uh, it would have maybe come out in the way he talked to him or how he acted around him. But evidently, for three years, he had been just as gentle and and loving and and kind to Judas, uh, treating him in exactly the same way he had treated the other 11. And in fact, on the night of the Last Supper, that story we read even favoring Judas, honoring him, because like I said, you've got to try to picture uh, the scene that night in, in your mind around the table. Uh, it's probably not what you might imagine if you've seen the Da Vinci painting of the Last Supper because they weren't all seated straight up on one side of the table. right? Nobody eats like that. In the first century, a setting for the Seder meal, the table would have been U-shaped. And the disciples weren't seated on chairs, but they were reclining on couches where they would lie on their left-hand side, resting on their left elbows, and and they would use their their right hands to eat. And so the one who was uh, on Jesus' right-hand side, the Apostle John, would have had his head leaning back very close to the heart of Christ, actually uh, almost leaning right on him. And so if Jesus was able to just casually uh, dip a piece of bread and handed it to Judas, where do you think he was sitting? Yeah, on his left-hand side. Yeah, he was sitting right there next to him, right on the left. So when Jesus had dipped that morsel, that that piece of, of bread broken from the 11 cakes that were on the table as part of the Passover feast that evening, and he leaned back and, and he gave that bite, you would almost think that would have broken Judas' heart, wouldn't you? In, a, in an intimate moment like that. But it didn't. Judas just kept up the charade. He just kept up being that man that David described in today's psalm when he talked about that companion who stretched out his hand against his friend and who violated his covenant. He just kept up being that man whose speech was smooth as butter, but whose war was contained in his heart, whose words were softer than oil, but they were drawn swords. And he's sitting right at the table knowing full well that only just a few days before in Bethany... He had met with the leaders of Israel and bargained for our Lord's life for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, uh, about $25 worth. And so in, in this moment, Judas was so hardened into his diabolical plan that Satan was actually able to enter into him and drive that plan home. And in that moment, he had become that classic example of the kind of person spoken of in Hebrews 6 when the Bible says, who has once been enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then fallen away. (coughs) Not that Judas had ever possessed any of those things, but he had sure tasted them, hadn't he? Uh, He had seen and heard and experienced all that Jesus had done, but he never embraced those things. He never received them by faith. Just like the phony apostate Christians that the Apostle John would later write about in his first letter when he he says, those folks went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And I think that, you know, falling on a communion Sunday, this text is a pretty solemn warning, a, a warning, an example that a person can be very near to Jesus I mean, right at the table with him, and yet be lost and damned forever. I mean, think about it. Nobody was closer to Christ than the Twelve. Judas was one of them, and he's in hell today. Because while he might have given intellectual assent to the truth, he never embraced Christ with his heart. And just parenthetically here, because we don't have time to get into it, but it's an interesting strain in the story. If you have time to go back and read through the Gospel accounts, You'll see that all the other disciples address Jesus as Lord when they're talking to him. But Judas only ever called him teacher. So I encourage you to go back and and look that up. I think that's very interesting. All the other disciples referred to Jesus as Lord. Judas only ever called him teacher. And so we have to examine ourselves. That's why the apostle Paul warns in 2 Corinthians, uh, in those words, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test as you know some a a pastor once said kind of humorously life is too short for uh, fake butter fake cheese or fake people and the truth is brothers and sisters life is too short and eternity is too long for fake christians that's why paul is suggesting that we ask ourselves if we have the evidence that jesus christ lives in us and the very fact that the apostle could ask that question indicates there's at least a possibility the answer could be no just like judas of course a christian is not a person who simply joins a fellowship or adheres to a certain code of conduct or who performs certain rituals a true christian is someone in whom christ dwells so does he does he dwell in you or, or, or are you and I fooling ourselves and rejecting God's offer of salvation with the proof of his grace and power right in plain sight like, like Judas who followed Jesus but never changed? See, Think about it. Judas knew that Jesus had given sight to the blind. Judas went out with the disciples when they had healed the sick and cast out demons. Judas had been right there and helped distribute a miraculous meal To over 5,000 people that Jesus provided from a couple of loaves and a few fish. Judas saw Jesus walk on water and, and command the wind and the waves to submit to his authority. And he was standing right there when Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. And I think saddest of all is he was there on the night our Lord was handing out the bread of life. But he chose the bite of betrayal instead. And, and countless people are doing the same thing today. They, they hear about Jesus. They may know about his character and, and his claims and his crucifixion. They might even respect his teaching, but they don't accept him as, as Lord. And, and if that's you today, if, if, if that's your story, don't miss this opportunity. Don't let it pass you by. It's not too late. The Bible tells us uh, to exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence, firm to the end. And as it said today, right now, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, but in the words of Psalm 55, cast your burdens on the Lord as we come to the table. Call out to God, and the Lord will save you as we pray.